Good morning, Midtown. If you could, find your seats. Find your seats. Well, good morning. My name's Jamie. I have the privilege of being a pastor here on staff at Midtown Church. Shame on our senior pastor for bringing football into the service. Yes, shame on him. Hey, I had the privilege of uh, spending most of last week in Washington, D.C. with one of our elders, Justin Voss, going through four or five days of church leadership training. And so uh, it was good to be there, but we certainly missed our church family. So great to be back with you. If you were to go to our website, don't. Just stay locked in up here. But if you were to go there, midtownaustin.org, and you could finally navigate your way pretty easily to, to what we believe. If you were to go there, you would find that we believe this about the Bible. Now listen to it. We believe the Bible. It stops there, and no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we believe the Bible, as revealed to us in the Old and New Testaments, is the inspired Word of God, meaning this, that God himself breathed that word, that he dictated it through the Holy Spirit so that men recorded it exactly as he intended them, inspired, and it is our, now don't miss this, final authority. It's without error in its original manuscripts. I bring that to you because as we look into First Peter today, continuing in chapter 2, our series Standing in grace, the very first verse is going to bring us into a conflict. Right? It's as old as Genesis chapter 3. There's a conflict of there is the way of God, and then there is the way of humanity, and these things battle. Going back and forth, not in a power struggle as if one is equal to the other, for God is infinitely more powerful than anything else, but there is a systematic story throughout your scripture of all the ways that humanity has turned from what God has said is good, what is true, what is righteous. In fact, what Peter is going to lay out in his letter to us this morning is that comes most clearly into view in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the central figure of all of human history, and thus it's the most sharpest division in all of human history. See, the Scriptures, God has something to say about who Jesus is. Culture at large has another. So I invite you, stand with me as we read God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-10. through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. First Peter 2, 4 through 10 the very words of God. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you for the text. We thank you that your word being living and active applies right now as it did uh, from eternity past. That it applies right now where we are. Your scripture is never outdated. God, it's never relegated to simply one cultural expression. It's enduring. It's authoritative. It is there for our good, for our instruction. We pray that in our efforts to understand it, to live it, to apply it, that we'd bring you glory in that. God, we pray for the family members of the uh, Muslims who died in the pilgrimage stampede. We pray that in some way that would would bring your love and mercy uh, more clearly into view. God, that they would taste salvation. It's in the wonderful name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. So 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Now the living stone is Jesus. The scriptures say something about him. First of all, living It's a resurrection statement. We talked about that some weeks back, that all of our hope, everything that we are hinges on that historical fact being true, that Christ indeed has risen from the grave. So we could stand here again every morning and I could say, he is risen. We're going to try that again since all of our hopes hinge on that. He is risen. risen Amen. Amen. And it says that in the view of God, in the eyes of God, Christ, his work on the cross, that everything he is, is chosen. It's precious. And yet, at the same time, rejected. But not by God, by humanity. So verse 4 brings what we talked about a few minutes ago, this conflict into view. There is a statement of fact about Jesus from God. And there is a whirlwind of cultural opinions about him. Let me challenge you on something. Let me exhort you towards guarding your biblical view of Jesus. It is very easy, as we make friendships with non-believers, which is a wonderful thing to do. It's very easy as we continue in relationship with family members or co-workers or, or friends, whatever it may be, that at a certain point, emotionalism creeps in. We don't really want to square biblically with what God has to say that is true about either receiving or rejecting Jesus. And so some of that emotionalism, some of those uh, cultural lines of thinking may creep in and will begin to soften who the Bible says Christ is. Today is not a soft text. Today is a clear one. 
For what Peter is actually saying is Christ, the defining figure in humanity, his work on the cross and resurrection, the defining historical moment of humanity, essentially puts people into two camps. There are those but by the grace and mercy of God call out in repentance and faith upon the name of Jesus, and then there are those that do not, and that embodies what he says is rejection. That there are those that reject Jesus being who the Scripture says him to be. Now, if you're with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I love you, we love you, please keep coming back. I'm about to give you some ammunition against us, all right? So write it down, say, ah, oh, pastor said this, guilty. I'm about to say it. Christianity is very exclusive. It's an inescapable fact. And yet, at the same time, it's the most inclusive of all exclusive thoughts. For the exclusivity of Christianity does say this. This is what Peter's saying to us this morning. God has chosen the way for humanity to be reconciled to him. That way is chosen by God and that way is precious to God and that way is the person of Jesus Christ. It's God in the flesh, entering into our suffering, taking all the suffering upon himself, dying a death that we deserved, being buried in the ground, being resurrected to newness of life, that we all may be born into newness of life, to be reconciled to God. That way is chosen, and it is precious. And so if you do even a cursory reading through the Gospels, you find Jesus himself making these audacious, exclusive claims. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Peter says that way is chosen and precious. And so that is a very exclusive claim. And yet... It is the most inclusive of exclusive claims because the rest of Scripture says this, and all may come. And all may have that life and all may taste that life because having that life has nothing to do with what we do. It's not a system of thought that says, well, only this type of person can come. Only this type of of earning God's love is acceptable. That only this level of intellect, this level of socioeconomic background, this level of education, this level of good deeds. The gospel says none of that. In fact, what it says is there is one way for us to be reconciled to God, and that's through the love, mercy, and grace of the work of Jesus And anyone and everyone is welcome at that table. And so, yes, to our opponents and challengers, I will stand with you in saying Christianity in doctrine is exclusive. Meaning this, not that it excludes people, it excludes every other system of thought as also being correct but it is incredibly inclusive in saying, come, anyone and everyone, repent and call upon the name of Jesus. That's the living stone. 
That's the stone that Peter is writing about as we continue through our passage. Look at it with me, verse 5. You yourselves, this is remarkable, you yourselves like living stones. Now, don't miss what Peter just did there. He just took this idea of being chosen and precious that is spoken about of Jesus and said, hey, and you are like that, chosen and precious. Okay, so maybe you don't leave with anything else. Half of you are mad at me for saying the exclusive thing a second ago. Well, focus on this. Verse 5 means, if God views you as chosen and precious, and then likewise God, you being found in Jesus, views you as chosen and precious, means God views you like he views Jesus. So here's the unbelievable thought in that. God loves you if you're found in Christ right now as much as he possibly ever can or will. He does not love some future version of yourself more. Let me say that again. God in Christ can only love us perfectly to the fullest measure. He does not love some future version of yourself more. Okay, so any of that anxiety that you're carrying of like, well, okay, well, once I reach this level, or once I stop doing that sin, or once I clean this up, then I'll really, the fullest measure of God's love comes flowing freely and fully because of the work of Jesus, not because of our works. God in Christ, if you're found in him, loves you right now as much as you possibly can or will, not some future version of yourself more. Okay, somebody has got to amen that. That is good, great news. Okay, so he says, Jesus chosen and precious, you likewise chosen and precious. Look what else he says. You are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Do you notice stones was plural here? And did you notice that those stones are being built into something? They're not out by themselves. I remember I was, I don't remember when this was, last year or the year before, we were on the UT campus talking with some students and uh, ran into a guy and started talking to him, wound up he was a believer. So I just started asking him some church questions and he gave me this really, uh, how do I be kind, um, popular but not biblical view of church. And that is, well, I don't really think I need the church. I've got you know, this campus ministry over here. And so I just kind of like to get, you know, just me and God on a Sunday. I listened. I didn't blow them up like I wanted to. Because let me tell you something, especially millennials. Us and our podcast at home is not church in a biblical sense. Living stones built together into what is called a spiritual house. Meaning this, we necessarily need one another. They were supposed to be joined together, forming a spiritual house. It's temple imagery. It is the idea that that now the church, the people of God, are what display the presence of God to the world. 
In fact, it's when people would be able to come in here on a Sunday morning to a gathered church of God that in seeing that and tasting that, they're supposed to see these stones built upon one another in which God, the reality of God, is made visible through his transformative work of the gospel in and through all of our lives. They do not taste that if you sit at home with your podcast. So we have these Stones, cut, carved, placed together, joined together to build a spiritual house. And then he says this. He calls us something that's very interesting. He says, you are a priesthood. All of us here. So if you've trusted in, now back up, verse 4, the chosen precious stone. You haven't rejected it. And so in trusting in that, you too are called a chosen and precious stone. You're now built up into the spiritual house. Part of the identity that you carry is a priest. This is Old Testament imagery. We'll find this more at the end of the sermon. We talked our very first week in 1 Peter that Peter is going to align much of our story, this new covenant people of God, with the story of God's Old Testament nation, Israel. And the priesthood of Israel, if I were to try to make it, and it's probably overly simplistic, but in the most simplistic definition I could, the priest made the human connection to God visible. Okay, so carry that over to us. That if we were to carry out this identity, that we are chosen and precious stones, that Peter just says, you, me, all of us, we are now a priesthood of God for him in this world as we carry this ability to make the human connection to God visible. And the human connection to God is the living stone that's chosen and precious in God's sight. You see it all working together now. So we go forward with the message of the gospel in our lives together, in our gatherings together, that people may taste these realities of God, bringing into view the possibility of reconciliation with God through Jesus. That's what Peter is calling us to. It's a very high calling. In fact, more than we talk about it, church membership, or if we use the language, a partnership here at Midtown, is a very high calling. I commend those who attended the class with Jake this morning. I would exhort those of you that have not yet joined a church membership to prayerfully consider so. And if that's not here, we will celebrate getting you plugged into another gospel-preaching church where you'd be more comfortable becoming a member. Because these stones that are built together are supposed to be cemented together. We know who we're locking arms with. We know who's keeping watch over our souls. We know who's holding us accountable on this journey of making the human connection to God visible. So Peter says, Jesus is chosen and precious. You, like him, being found in him, are chosen and precious. That brings this whole new identity in this corporate people of God, the church, and the place that we play in that, calling all of us priests. Let's keep going. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. There's our language again. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Isn't that a great promise? But can you pick anything else in in all the realm of our life that guarantees that? Can you guarantee that that all of your human relationships will never bring anything that will make you feel shame? 
in your work? Can you, can you guarantee that that is what you want to build your hope upon because it's only going to provide hope, only going to provide honor, that it will never bring anything in the realm of shame or disappointment or betrayal? Here Peter lays out before us the one thing, and here's what he promises. There's no shame that can ever come in the eyes of God for those who call on Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean culture won't shame you, friends, family won't shame but it means in an ultimate sense, our shame is gone in the work of Jesus. Praise God. In fact, not only is the shame gone, look what it's replaced with. Keep going. So the honor, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone, is, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Cornerstone simply was the first stone you laid that dictated how that building would be built. It dictated the lines, the measurements. The rest of the structure was predicated on the laying of the cornerstone. Which means this for us. As a church of God, following Jesus With him as our cornerstone, we come to him to dictate our direction. We come to him to dictate the way we live our lives. We come to him to give words of final authority on what is good, what is righteous, and what is true. So Jesus is chosen and precious. We're chosen and precious, having been found in Christ. Having been found in Christ, we're built into the spiritual house of which we all get to pray the role of priests. And all of our shame is washed away with the gospel and it's replaced with honor. Let's keep going. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I take that to mean that when God laid forth a plan of salvation... He knew it was inevitable that there will be some that, some that reject it and there will be some that, re, that, that receive it. That's the inevitable part of that. that. That was part of what would happen when the stone was laid and, and mankind encounters it saying, I will either trust in the work of Jesus or I won't. Verse 9, but you, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, this, again, is, is Old Testament language applied to us, the New Covenant people. Listen to what is recorded in the Old Testament. Exodus nineteen five through 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be, watch this, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Listen to Isaiah 43, uh, beginning halfway through verse 20 through 21. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. You're blessed, sister. Take that home. That's verse 9. That's the fulfillment of Exodus and Isaiah. Of saying in this new covenant covering of Jesus. We have salvation in Christ's name. It says we're a chosen people. God's people. A kingdom of priests for this. Look at the purpose that we may 
Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When I was in D.C. this week, it hit me. We were going through one of the trainings. It was actually unrelated to what I'm about to tell you. But I had begun this really, uh, uh, really sad, shameful pattern of marginalizing the reality of some of my sin. Right? Really not counting it for what it really was rationalizing it, excusing it. Here's what happens when I do that. The light, right, this marvelous light that Peter's just talked about, it grows really dim. Because it's only if I'm in tune to the, to the depth of the darkness am I really going to appreciate the marvelous, glorious light. It was a good moment of repentance for me. It was a good moment of that gospel coming back home fresh, the light shining a little brighter, the need for Jesus becoming illuminated in that moment once again. And Peter says, hey, priests, chosen precious stones, God wants us to proclaim the excellencies of him. That idea of proclaim means to publish abroad. Here's the really gross thought. Can I share one with you? I would love to write a book and have my name published abroad. I'd love that. In fact, you don't have to convince me to proclaim the excellencies of Jamie. That sounds like a lot of fun. The sickening thought is how slow I am to do what the Bible actually says to do. And that's to publish abroad the work of God in your life. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Has God in any way transformed your life through the gospel of Jesus? We are to publish that abroad. We're to proclaim it. We are to, as priests, make that transformative power of the gospel visible to people. They should come in here on a Sunday morning and taste it. They should encounter us in our conversations and be covered with it. And I am not just talking about non-Christians. I need to come in here and see that God has changed you just as much as they do because that gives me hope that he's still changing me. We all need this. The priests need the other priest. We need to taste that, that power of God, that goodness of God, that, that growth of what God is doing. And we need to see that in each other, taste it in each other, be encouraged by it from one another. So Jesus was chosen and precious. It's a dividing line. Some receive it, some reject it. But if you receive it, God says, you, I'm going to view you just like Jesus, chosen and precious. But when you're a chosen and precious stone, just remember, it's chosen and precious stones built together into a spiritual house to example to the world the transformative power of the gospel to make the human connection to God visible, being priests. Then he ends our passage with this, verse 10. Once, just a good gospel reminder, once you are not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Midtown, when we take communion this morning, you are remembering once not being a people, but now being a people. You're remembering once having not received mercy, but now having received mercy. For the bread and, and, and the juice that we'll drink this morning are both symbolic references to Christ's body being broken for us on the cross, his blood fo- flowing forth from us on the cross, covering us, washing away all of our sins. That wrath that should have and was, was going to come our way, God took out on his own son, the one that he called chosen and precious, so that he then could call us chosen and precious. Here at Midtown, we open our communion table, which there's a station here and a station in the back, to anyone that is a follower of Jesus. If you have not yet repented and called out in faith in Jesus' name, we'd ask that you would make this a moment of observation, that you would watch us as a church celebrate what our wonderful, wonderful Savior has done for us. Logistically, if you would, go to either station in the middle aisles and come back down the sides, midtown, let me pray. Father, as we come to you, I want to come to you with a prayer of repentance. So God, for every time this week we thought that nasty thought about a friend or coworker or family member, we repent. For every time this week that we knowingly gossiped, we repent. God, for every time this week we rejoiced in someone else's failure, we repent. God, for every lustful thought, for every second glance, we repent. For every covetous moment, for every moment we were selfish with our money, we repent. God, for every click on a computer screen to engage in immorality, we repent. God, we repent for sinning in our anger, we repent for lacking love for our neighbor. God, as husbands, we repent, we repent for not shepherding the hearts of our wives. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you that we can, in a tangible way, eat this bread and drink this juice and be visibly reminded that you have made us a people called us chosen and precious. It's in the wonderful, wonderful name of Christ, I pray. Amen.